everyone to the score fantasy football podcast i'm your host justin boone the lead fantasy analyst at the score great to have you riding along with us today as we get you ready for week eight and i'm going to bring our guest in here in a second but before we do that let's take a look at my top trade targets this week as we kick things up a notch with our friends at frank's red hot let's frank it up and the first name on my list heading into week eight Ramondre Stevenson on the Patriots. His managers are likely disappointed in his results so far. He's only the RB33 in fantasy points per game on the year, but New England's offense has shown signs it might be turning the corner the last couple weeks, and Stevenson has followed suit, finishing as the RB19 and the RB7 in those contests. He also has average or above average fantasy matchups in all but one game the rest of the way. So if you're looking for a discounted RB2 who might be able to get back to low-end RB1 fantasy production, Stevenson should be your target. After him, I'm seeing if I can buy the dip on Bijan Robinson. And don't get me wrong, this one's not going to be easy. But fantasy managers, they might be frustrated that Robinson barely played last week and with the fact that Tyler Algier's been sapping some of his upside. But Robinson appears to be over last week's illness and he looks like he's going to be back on track in week eight. On top of that, if you look ahead to the fantasy playoffs, no team's running backs have an easier schedule than the Falcons. They're going to face the Panthers, the Colts, and the Bears from weeks 15 to 17. So you're going to want Robinson in your lineup for that stretch. And then one more name on my list here, Dak Prescott. It wasn't a great rollout for Dak and company prior to that week seven bye so far this season. He threw just one touchdown or less in five of his first six outings, and he really wasn't popping very often for fantasy. But he also dealt with offensive line issues during that time, and he had to go up against some really tough defenses like the Jets and the Patriots and the 49ers. However, in that last game before their week off, the line started to get healthy, and Dak had his best performance of the year. 272 passing yards and a touchdown, as well as 40 rushing yards and a score on the ground, and the rushing production is key. Offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer, he even spoke about it recently. If Dak can continue to punish defenses with his legs, that could unlock this offense and it could unlock his fantasy value, and we're not even done there because Dallas also has one of the easiest passing schedules for the remainder of 2023, so now is the time to buy low on Prescott and the Cowboys offense. And if you want to get a better idea what kind of pieces that you could trade for Stevenson and Robinson and Prescott, go and take a look at my trade value charts over at the score. That's going to help guide you for which players might be able to get a deal done and then send some offers out and take your roster and frank it up just like our friends at Frank's Red Hot. All right, let's get our guest in here, Matt Donnelly. You know him from the Dynasty Vipers Network on YouTube, but his work's been featured on a bunch of great fantasy sites. You should also be following him on Twitter at Matt Donnelly FF. Matt, welcome back to the show, man. How's the season been treating you so far, dude? It has been a very interesting season here. For the most part, it's been pretty good, but I mean, some of those, those big time kind of expert type leagues we got going on, like the Kings Classic, we got teams that are like four and three that are right in the thick of things. Like there's some very competitive leagues that I'm in there. You're like, am I a contender? Am I a pretender? You still haven't figured it out. And we are now in week eight, and I still don't have the answer if some of these teams are contending or pretending. So uh, I feel good about them. I feel good about a lot of my teams, but I tell you what, it's it's a very fluid situation going on around the fantasy circle right now because we have a lot of backfield issues going on all across the National Football League that kind of maybe muddies the waters a little bit more than what we would like. Well, that's the funny thing. We keep doing these Wednesday preview shows, and I always want to talk about the biggest news of the week on these episodes. And then so often it just circles around. It leads us right to running backs because there's so much changing in these backfields around the league. So today we're going to talk through some of the latest trends and outlooks for these backfields that are giving fantasy managers trouble. And we'll start with a team that in general has been giving fantasy managers trouble, and that's the Browns. 
We've all witnessed the weirdness with Deshaun Watson and his injury. We know now that he's not going to be playing this week, and I talked about his injury on Monday's show. I also went over Jerome Ford's ankle sprain, and I don't know about you, Matt, but I find it kind of silly when teams try to downplay these ankle injuries. The Browns called it a low-grade high ankle sprain. They're saying it's going to keep him out one to two weeks. I wonder if that could be even longer here because we've seen these high ankle sprains be serious issues for running backs, and sometimes it can even limit them when they get back. It can hamper their effectiveness. So regardless, Ford is out at least a week, I think probably a few weeks. I wouldn't be surprised if he's out even longer than that. Who knows? We'll keep an eye on it for sure. And that leaves us with Kareem Hunt and Pierre Strong, who split touches in last week's game with Ford leaving early. How are you approaching these two this week, and really for however long Ford's out? Well, you mentioned right off the get-go, the, the curse word there, high ankle. As soon as you hear that, it's time to avoid that altogether, which is a shame because Ford gave us that workhorse back there in Cleveland. We didn't have to worry about Kareem Hunt. We didn't have to worry about Pierre Strong. In fact, a lot of people basically discarded Pierre Strong, and now they're scrambling to get him back on waivers this week. And I would wish I could tell you that Kareem Hunt is the answer, but if we look at what happened last week, we're looking at Hunt had 10 carries for 31 yards. Sure, he had the two touchdowns, but Strong had eight carries and 25 yards himself. So just when you thought you were done with this whole running back by committee type thing, it pulled you right back in here in <laughs> Cleveland. The upcoming schedule outside of this week is actually pretty good. I mean, Seattle, they're tough when it comes to fantasy running backs, allowing just 13.7 yards per game. So if I'm looking at this backfield, I'm probably avoiding it in general this week, mostly because Cleveland can attack through the air. And whether it's Deshaun Watson or P.J. Walker, I mean, P.J. Walker, he was actually pretty good a couple weeks ago there targeting Amari Cooper. So I think you're going to see Cleveland attack this Seattle Seahawks team this week in the air. So I'm avoiding these Browns altogether. But if you look at the usage, and this is the key word for me here, is when I'm looking at the usage of the Browns' backfield following Jerome Ford's injury, you would like to think that it was all Kareem Hunt, but that wasn't the case. The snap share actually favored Pierre Strong 63% to 34%. And the rush attempts actually went to Pierre Strong 8-5. to five. So if I'm looking at how this is going to go out, and I know that Cleveland likes to run that gap scheme there, Strong may be the better back fitted for this backfield, but it's still going to be a 50-50 at best type situation. Or Pierre Strong is going to see a majority of those touches or opportunities. I'm fading this backfield in general, but if I had to take one of these backs right now, it would probably be Pierre Strong at this point. Yeah, I think the only thing that we got to factor in is that Kareem Hunt went into that game a little banged up, right? So I think it was a thigh or a quad injury he was dealing with. So maybe that was part of it. Maybe that led to him getting less touches in that game. But I agree with you. I think it is going to be some sort of split there, and that kind of reduces the the fantasy upside for both guys. Uh, next up, I want to talk about the Vikings backs because after week six, it sure looked to me like Alexander Madison, he had put a stamp on that backfield that he had held off Cam Akers. Madison played 79% of the snaps in that week six game. But then they come into this tougher matchup in week seven against the San Francisco 49ers and Madison drops down to 53% of the snaps and Akers workload starts to rise there. So what do you think fantasy managers should be doing with these two as Minnesota's heading into another kind of favorable spot for their running backs against Green Bay? It's a great matchup against Green Bay Packers. We've seen teams be able to run on the Packers, not only this season, but even dating back to last year. 
I kind of got myself in a lot of trouble beginning of the season because I had Madison as one of my fade running backs from the get-go. I didn't think he could be that workhorse back that the Minnesota Vikings needed. I thought it was going to be one of those situations where everyone talked about volume, volume, volume. And so far, the volume's been there, but he hasn't been efficient with the volume. And anyone who knows me knows that I love myself some Cam Akers, going all the way back to his prospect profiles that I did. So I may be a little bit biased here in this approach, but <laughs> this, again, is shaping up to be a full-out committee. And it's not just going to be Cam Akers and Madison factoring. I mean, Ty Chandler even worked into it a little bit last week. So this is going to be one of those things where I think they ride the hot hand. Like Madison, eight carries, 39 yards. Two receptions on three targets. Akers had 10 for 31. He also had two catches for 30 yards on three targets. So this is about as split as they could possibly be. And like you said, when I mentioned this Packers game, they're allowing the third most fantasy points to running backs over the last four weeks. So if Madison cannot be efficient with his production here this week, I think that kicks open the door completely for Cam Akers. And if Madison wants to take that step and maybe put a hold on the position, it's got to be done in the red zone. 13 red zone carries this season, 10 yards is all he's been able to show for it. That is not going to get you any kind of um, extra touches moving forward. And when you mentioned those touches there, the first half, 63% snap rate, 60% running back rush rate. That's what um, Madison was able to produce. Then it looked like he kind of got a little bit nicked up there towards the end of the first half, and we saw that snap rate drop to 49% and a 25% run uh, share. So this is where you're going to kind of worry about it. If it was any other running back, if it was Ty Chandler, I wouldn't worry about it. But you got to remember, we're talking about Cam Akers here. In five of the final six Ram contests last year, Akers himself commanded a 72% of the team snap, averaging 19 touches, 101.8 total yards per game. And if you would have translated that last season to fantasy, that was RB6 from week 13 on, while getting 100% of the carries inside the 10-yard line. So yes, I'm very concerned about Alexander Madison here, and I think Cam Akers is a real threat to those touches in Minnesota. Yeah, to me, it's playing out kind of exactly how I said after they got Akers, which is it was Madison's job until he kind of failed with his work and until he opened the door for Akers to get an opportunity. And we saw a couple weeks ago that Madison was able to handle things. Last week, whether it was because he got a little banged up or whether it was because he wasn't really producing, though at the very start of the game, he did have a a nice run. But uh, whether that was the case, and then all of a sudden you see Akers start to get more work and we could see that continue. So I believe that Madison, once again, will come out and as long as he's healthy, will have another shot to handle things. But if he continues to struggle a little bit and not have that efficiency, then we're definitely going to see Akers get more work. I still have Madison as an RB3 this week. I wish I could put him higher, but it's just really, really difficult with the way that backfield's looking right now. I'm making it so tough on you today because these backfields that I'm asking you about, they're like toss-ups, right? They're really tough to kind of get clarity on. And there's going to be some more hard ones to decipher coming up here, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a palate cleanser. I think this one's a little easier. Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss. Obviously, Moss crushed it when Taylor was out. And, you know, he maintained that role sort of the last couple weeks with Taylor in the lineup that he at least was producing for fantasy. He was still getting a lot of touches. It was more of a 50-50 split. But it seemed like last week Taylor started to regain that lead back job and maybe pulled away a little bit. Are you feeling more comfortable with Taylor's fantasy value? And then I also want to know, do you think that Moss is still going to continue to be that maybe flex option or is he just becoming more of an upside bench stash now? 
Well, you kind of hinted at this with the Madison Acres thing, playing out how you thought it was going to play out. This Jonathan Taylor, Zach Moss is playing out exactly how many of us thought it was going to be. Last week, as you mentioned, 50-50 split, 18 carries apiece for both Moss and Taylor. Uh, Taylor had 75 yards uh, rushing there and the touchdown, not to mention the three receptions for 45. We have seen this backfield slowly start being tilted back towards Jonathan Taylor since his return, which is what we kind of anticipated was going to happen. We knew Moss was going to be a factor for the first two, three weeks upon Taylor's return. Indianapolis basically told us exactly what was to happen. Uh, Graham Barfield, one of my good friends there over at Fantasy Points, kind of pointed out that Jonathan Taylor's role by percentage of expected fantasy points in this Colts backfield has gone up from 19.5 in Week 5 to 48.7% in week six. And then in week number seven last week, that jumped all the way up to 61.9%. So those expected fantasy points, they are definitely tilting towards uh, Jonathan Taylor. We talked about those uh, carries and targets 50-50 in week number seven, even though Taylor had a few more routes run. So we know he's getting more involved in the passing game. And we've watched those snap shares since his return go from 15% to 42% to 50%. So I'm expecting this backfield to end up being a 65-35 or 70-30 split moving forward, which means Zach Moss is still going to have some kind of flex appeal moving forward. So don't completely discard Zach Moss. Because it seems like whenever we decide to count out Zach Moss, and I'm looking back at that Tennessee Titans game, he comes back and says, hey, don't forget about me. I can still play some ball here at a high level. So I'm not going to go out there and discard him altogether, but I'm expecting that snap share for him to go back down about 35 to 30% here as we move forward here in the coming weeks. So I do like Taylor moving forward, but I think Zach Moss still has some flex appeal for fantasy managers. All right, back to the tough ones here. Maybe this is the toughest one of all. Miles Sanders versus Chuba Hubbard. And I'll let you break this one down, but Sanders has not been great this year. Now we have Frank Reich's comments about it being a little more of a committee coming out of the bye. Not exactly a ringing endorsement for Sanders there. So what are you doing with Sanders and Hubbard heading into week eight? Well, I'm doing exactly what Frank Reich is doing, and I'm just throwing it to somebody else. I mean, he gave up his play calling <laughs> ability. It's probably because of Sanders and Hubbard situation here to all when we're talking about it. Now, I love Sanders. Like Full disclosure here, I love Sanders coming into the season. He's been one of the more underrated running backs each and every year. When people talk about top 12, top 15 backs, Sanders' name never gets mentioned yet. Every year, he's always found himself into that conversation when it comes down to it at the end of the season. That's obviously not going to be the situation here this year. And when we heard that he was going to get involved in the passing game, I mean, that got me excited. Everything that we heard like in the offseason had me thinking that this was going to be a Sanders breakout type year. But we all know that Chuba Hubbard, he's from my neck of the woods here. He's, he's a Northern Alberta type boy. So you know I'm going to give him the nod when it comes down to this backfield. Uh, he's looked more explosive. He's earned a larger role, even when Sanders returns. And if you look at the season totals, Hubbard's got 54 carries, 242 yards. He's averaging four and a half yards per attempt. He's also added 13 receptions for uh, 59 yards. Meanwhile, Sanders, he's got the more carries at 61, but he's only created 190 yards. So we're looking at these. Why is it not working for Sanders? Well, it comes down to... Hubbard's ability to force missed tackles and those yards from scrimmage. And if you look at that and you kind of play um, Hubbard versus Sanders to date, you can see exactly why Hubbard has been the better back. He's creating missed tackles all over the field. He's creating extra yards from scrimmage. Something that Sanders, whether it's been that groin issue that he dealt with early on in training camp or it's the shoulder issue that he's dealing with right now, 
Sanders hasn't been right all season long. So when I look at this backfield, I think this is going to be a 50-50 split. I think Sanders, as a veteran, has earned at least 50% of the touches. It kind of goes with that whole Pittsburgh Steelers thing here. When you look, hey, Jalen Warren has looked like the more explosive back compared to Najee Harris, but he's also the fresher back whenever he gets out there because he doesn't have the same wear and tear on his body that Harris has. I think that's the same situation here in Carolina where Hubbard gets the opportunity to look more explosive because he's typically not the starting back, and that kind of belongs to Sanders. I would expect that to kind of continue, but Hubbard's ability to force those missed tackles, that is going to lead to far more fantasy production than what I see Sanders being able to produce. Yeah, I think that's a solid breakdown there. Uh, The next one here that I want to talk about, I've mentioned going back to last week because the Texans were on bye in week seven, but before the bye, we saw Devin Singletary get more work than Damian Pierce. So we want to know, was that a blip on the radar or was that a sign of things to come? Where do you stand with Pierce and Singletary? Well, I do like Pierce. I think, you know, the whole custard's last stand kind of thing. I think that's it right here for Damian Pierce because the Carolina Panthers, if you cannot produce in fantasy against the Carolina Panthers, you're probably not going to produce at all this season. I mean, we're talking about one of the worst run defenses for fantasy out there today. And if we look back to week number six, like you alluded to there, Pierce, 13 carries for 34 yards. He was outplayed by Devin Singletary, who had just 12 carries for 58 yards. The season totals, Singletary's averaging 3.9 yards per carry. Damian Pierce is only averaging 2.9 yards per carry. So everything right now is showing a favoritism here towards uh, production for Singletary. And like I said, on the waivers, I think he's only like 14% owned. I think he's a. I think he's one of those guys you have to get on your roster. And I think he's going to have an opportunity to split carries with Pierce. And I look at this even closer and closer. And at the beginning of the season, we wanted Pierce to be a thing. We really did because the backfields have been kind of like, hey, what are we dealing with? But we forget that Devin Singletary came into Houston with a pretty good resume himself. He was, I think, 819 rushing yards while splitting carries with James Cook last season. Singletary averaged 4.6 yards per attempt. So we shouldn't have just discarded him because the Houston Texans typically like to run the ball with Pierce. We should have probably had Singletary a little bit higher up on our radars. But when I go back to that Panthers team that they're playing, they've allowed 806 rushing yards and 11 touchdowns to opposing backs. So if Pierce is not productive in the first half, I think we can see Singletary get more and more involved in this offense As this game goes on, and as this game goes on, that's going to give us a better idea of how the rest of the season is going to go on. I'm expecting this to be a Pierce-type thing here, about 65 to 35, but if he falters in this game, it easily swings to 50-50 for me. D'Amico Ryans, we know that he believes in Pierce, despite that lack of production and that inefficiency. I think Pierce has 34.5% of the total offensive opportunities, which is the eighth most amongst running backs. But again, if this is a game where he doesn't produce, then those opportunities are going to swing back towards Singletary, in my opinion. Yeah, kind of like the Vikings backfield, right? Where uh, I think Pierce is still the guy there if he can handle things, but if he doesn't handle it this week, especially in that great matchup, like you said, you know, Panthers giving up the second most fantasy points to running backs this year. If he can't get it done as a Bills fan, I could tell you that Singletary can be very frustrating at times, but he's a decent back. And even though some of the metrics aren't very favorable for him, he produces when he gets opportunities and he's done that for a while. 
And he can do it in this Texans offense, which I think could get a bump here. We didn't really talk about that with the Panthers offense, but coming out of the bye weeks here for these quarterbacks, these rookies like Bryce Young and like CJ Stroud, we could see those offenses start to produce a little better. And the Texans offense was already doing okay. So it could be interesting and it could be a valuable spot, not just for this week, but moving forward for whoever's getting the touches in that Texans backfield. One thing that we're not talking about is Houston's offensive line is probably one of the better units in the National Football League. They just haven't been on the field all at the same time at any point this season. And this looks like the week where that offensive line is finally healthy. So this may or may not be one of the reasons that we've seen those low yards per carries for Pierce and even Singletary. So if this line is healthy and back this week, we could see an uptick in the uh, production as far as the yards per carry is concerned. All right, last backfield that I want to ask you about here, uh, the Bears. So Deonta Foreman coming off that 120-yard three-touchdown performance against the Raiders. And that was made possible because you had Khalil Herbert sidelined. He's going to be out for four to six weeks, so probably still going to be a, a few more weeks before we see him. And then the rookie, Roshan Johnson, still being in concussion protocol. And we'll see what Roshan can do this week. He hasn't practiced for two weeks. Maybe he gets out there today. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. I haven't seen the Bears practice report yet for today, but when Herbert went down... I thought that was going to open the door for Roshan. Now with how Foreman's played, I mean, I think at best it's going to be a committee between Foreman and Roshan. What are you expecting from the Bears backs? Well, first off, Johnson needs to find a way to get on the field. We knew that this Bears backfield heading into the season, what it was going to be. We knew that all three backs brought very different skill sets. Khalil Herbert is that explosive back there. Foreman has been a lead back there in Carolina and produced. And Johnson was probably the best in pass pro and that downhill runner that we just haven't had an opportunity to see him in that role yet. Herbert, still on that AIR that you mentioned there. He's going to be there for a few weeks, but dang, man. I'm a Raiders fan, and I watched what Foreman did to my team there. 16 carries, 89 yards, a couple truck stick moments there on poor uh, Marcus Epps. Three catches for 31 yards and another touchdown. I mean, it's hard to imagine that even if the rookie clears concussion protocol, that any of those touches after that performance are going to end up in Johnson's wheelhouse. I, I just don't see that. And Foreman, according to Next Gen Stats, it's not like this has been like a one-and-done type situation yep. for him. He He's proven time and time again, going back to 2022, 2021, whatever you want to look at that, his success rate is amongst the best. Ninth in uh, rushing yards, over expected per attempt. Fifth in uh, the same category the year after. So we know that Deontay Foreman can be productive. And since last uh, week seven of last season, so we've got a whole year of data here to work with with Deontay Foreman there. He has played nine games with at least a 40% snap share. And all he's done in those games is had 20.3 touches per game, 105 yards per game, and 17 fantasy points per game. I'm not sure that even if Johnson was going to be back, that he's going to cut into that. You've got a rookie quarterback there in Tyson, the secret agent, badgent, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> he's getting another start this week. You need someone that you can rely on in that backfield. I think Donta Foreman has proven time and time again that he is reliable. Going back to Carolina and what he did last week, even there for the Bears, I don't see how you can really give Johnson, even if he clears concussion protocol, more than 15 to 20% of the snap share. Yeah, unless we hear something like incredibly positive about Roshan from one of the beat writers or one of the coaches that he's definitely going to start this week, and I don't think that's going to be the case, then I think you have to have Foreman ahead of him in the rankings for week eight, and then we'll see going forward. But to me, it seems like, if anything, 
maybe Foreman gives up a little bit of the passing down work to Roshan, but otherwise, I mean, you have to keep rolling him out there as the lead back. Foreman's just been so good, and you laid it out perfectly there. All right, we made it to the rapid fire section. Quick answers only here. You can give a little bit of context if you want. Nobody's going to cut your mic off or anything like that. Uh, let's start with something we covered on yesterday's show, actually. I want to know what you think about it. Who's the biggest fantasy-relevant player that's going to get traded before the deadline next week? I mean, you have to figure it's going to be Derrick Henry to the Eagles. I mean, everyone that Tennessee sends is going to Philadelphia. But the only problem I have here is the trade deadline seems like it's too early, and everyone teams don't know if they're pretenders or contenders yet. I wish that deadline would be pushed back a little bit. But right now, for me, it's Derrick Henry and Jerry Judy to Indianapolis makes a lot of sense as well. And the Titans, like you said, they've kind of been the the biggest sellers, been rumored to be the biggest sellers for a while here. And I think the thing for the Titans that, that could be good is if they start to move away from some of these veterans, if they start to move some of these guys out the door, it could open up playing time for the younger guys in that offense. And they got a lot of talented players. We talked before the show a little bit about this and my love of Tajay Spears, but today we found out at least from a report, so we don't know it's 100% true, but there's a report that Will Levis is going to start at quarterback for the Titans this week. When they asked Mike Vrabel, he again said that both quarterbacks, that Levis and Malik Willis, are going to get playing time in this game. My question to you, because I think I'm going to lean towards the report and think that Levis is going to start. Do you think Levis would sink or swim as the Titans starter this week? But give us your thoughts on the whole situation if you want. Yeah, I, I think Mike Vrabel knows exactly what he's doing. He's a former player turned coach, so he's. Just, I think he's just messing around with the media for the most part. But I do think that Will Levis is going to start. I think there's going to be a package for Malik Willis in there. I think there's going to be a package, that king package for Derrick Henry. So don't be shocked if he lines up under center here this week. I do think that this is a nice matchup for the Atlanta Falcons DST there if you're looking for streaming options. But I am intrigued by Will Levis. So I'm going to say that he is going to swim this week in those beautiful Houston Oilers uniforms that the uh, Titans are going to be spotting. So, I mean, if you, you, you have to produce if you're wearing those Houston Texans uniforms. You just have to. And let's be honest, like when we look at Will Levis, he was hurt during the offseason here, during training camp. That's why he found himself as the QB3 behind Will, uh, behind Malik Willis. So I think he's going to, there's a reason why he's pushed himself up that depth chart. He finished college with almost 6,000 yards and 46 touchdowns, not to mention almost 750 rushing yards. So he can't be any worse. This was already a sinking ship with Ryan Tannehill. You can't sink any further than it was already going. So I think that we're going to see Malik Willis bring this team a little bit better as long as maybe DeAndre Hopkins isn't traded here before the, the game or Derrick Henry as well. We found out yesterday, Zach Ertz going on IR. I thought he was somebody that we were going to talk about on, on Tuesday's show and we went over veterans that could get traded. I thought Ertz was definitely going to be one of the names on that list, but then boom, he ends up on IR, so he won't get dealt now. Does this mean that Trey McBride is worth stashing or maybe even starting in fantasy now that Ertz is going to be out for at least four weeks? I love Trey McBride and what he projects moving forward. I agree with you. I'm with you there. I thought Zach Ertz was on his way out there. We look at the last couple weeks. Ertz, he may have outran uh, routes compared to McBride, 43 to 38. But receptions, targets, yardage, uh, catch rate, it all favored McBride, including the higher pass rate when targeted favored McBride. So you're thinking, hey... They are already ushering Ertz out. They're bringing McBride in. Well, little did we know that Ertz was going to end up on the IR. So I do like Trey McBride moving forward. And the thing that makes me like him even more, not only that usage, but is the fact that Kyler Murray 
could possibly be returning sooner rather than later. And that's going to upgrade for anyone who's catching passes there in uh, Arizona, despite how good Joshua Dobbs has been so far. Yeah, seems like week nine or week 10 for Kyler Murray there. I always like to know this one from our guests. Who's your favorite stash in redraft right now? Well, I mean, we just talked about him. It's it's Kyler Murray for the obvious reasons. You have a quarterback out there who has been the QB1, or a QB1, pardon me, in points per game throughout his career, probably on your waivers right now. So if you get an opportunity to add a, a quarterback one to your team, you have to take that opportunity to do so. I mean, if you started Brian Hoyer or Will Levis or any of these guys right now, what are you waiting for? you got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Also, Rasheed Rice is one of those guys I absolutely love here. He's the Christian Watson from last season, and he's already produced prior to week number eight. You know he's got that rapport building with Patrick Mahomes, something that no Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver has had in uh, since Tyreek Hill. All right, then last question here. This is the closer. Which player is being overlooked heading into week eight? It could be a star who's getting disrespected. It could be just somebody that's underappreciated, maybe an unknown guy. Whatever direction you want to take it in, who's your player for this week? Well, I don't do rules very well, and rapid fire is probably not my strength, but I'm going to give you two here. One is Isaiah Pacheco. He's not a star, but I feel that he's being underappreciated. 12th in rushing yards, 419. 10th amongst running backs in receiving with 163. He's caught 21 of 23 targets. He only had 14 targets last season. So if we're getting Pacheco involved in the passing game, this is a top six fantasy running back moving forward. And people are yelling, sell, sell, sell. No, buy, buy, buy when it comes to Pacheco. If you want to go a little bit deeper, how about we talk about one of our biggest disappointments so far this season here, heading into week number eight, and that's Rashid White. Now, I know what people are going to say that he's going against the your Buffalo Bills, but hey, Justin, you know as well as anybody, Buffalo hasn't been that Buffalo defense that we're used to, especially in the last four weeks. They're allowing 27.98 fantasy points per game to the running back position. 427 rushing yards, 5 touchdowns, 21 receptions, 182 receiving yards. There's an opportunity here for White to redeem some of his fantasy value, even though we're halfway through the season. And Matt's decision there to talk about a player who's going to have a big game against the Bills this week, that is the reason why this is the last time you're ever going to hear Matt on this show. (laughs) (laughs) But there you have it. That is all for today's show. Uh, Make sure you're subscribing to Matt's content over on YouTube. That's the Dynasty Vipers Network on there. Give him that follow on Twitter. The handle one more time, at Matt Donnelly FF. A guy who is not only entertaining, I mean, he's great to talk to, as you could tell from the show today. He's also willing to put the work in, and I've seen that over and over. Matt, I appreciate the heck out of you for jumping on this week. Uh, Before we get you out of here, though, is there anything specific, anything else you're working on that I didn't mention that you want to direct people towards? Um, I'm pretty good. I mean, you want to catch my rankings, they're usually over on the Vipers Fantasy Network. I got some video going on over at Roto Baller, and of course, you can catch me in the Discord there over at Fantasy Point. So I'm kind of a little bit of everywhere. Jack of all trades, master of none, but hey... That's what fantasy is all about. Awesome. Go check that stuff out. We wish Matt nothing but the best here the rest of the season. As for me, I'll be back on Thursday with the Mailbag Show, Friday with the Injury Updates episode. But until then, big thanks once more to Matt. Big thanks to all you for listening. And we'll see you next time. Said leave on time, my baby. Said leave on time. Leave on time with me tonight. Said leave on time.